and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I've heard you say this multiple times. You're going to hear it throughout the next 20 years. Abide is one house with many voices. We believe that the most powerful form of ministry is us for us to move away from one person having one microphone preaching one message, but to a plurality of voices that we can receive from. So let me, help you, let me help you understand this today. Today, as Pastor Tyler comes to minister the word, there's something Pastor Tyler has that Gio needs. I want you to understand this before he comes. There's a lot about honor we can say, but when we begin to live life in that way, we get to come under the blessing of someone else. So today, man, that's the posture of heart among our staff. That as somebody holds this microphone, we believe that the Holy Spirit in them is going to deposit in me something that I need. So can we come into agreement with that this morning? Let's, let's honor Pastor Tyler as he comes up to give the word. Hey, man, I'm so excited to be here. You guys look awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> I hope I don't have mic problems today. I, hope, I really don't. Um, so I, I've had this word like bubbling in my heart for several weeks now, and I'm just like, as I'm just, I'm being honest with you, as I'm standing before you this morning, I just have the fear of the Lord on me this morning, that the Lord has something for you, and that he has something in your heart that he wants to shift, wants to change, give you a new perspective, amen? And we've been talking about the church for a while, we've been talking about building him a house, the Lord's calling. Hey, uh, um, <laughs> hey, we've been talking about that, and one of the things that I've learned over my life is that different people in their homes have different ways they want people to come in, right? Like, who, show me the people who are, make yourself at home. Where's the make yourself at home people? When people walk in, you make yourself, see, you guys are the worst, because you say that, and then there's nothing in your fridge, because you can say it with confidence, because you're like, ain't nothing there for them to eat. <laughs> what about the take your shoes off at the front door people? Where are you at? Or, oh, yeah, y'all, y'all are the worst. They'll be, they'll, they're so passive aggressive too. You walk in with your shoes and all the other shoes of the family are lined up at the front door like, hey, you see that? That's supposed to be you too. And you walk in, you walk three feet in, they're like, hey, how you doing? And they're looking at your shoes like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's different ways you need to approach. This is one thing that I learned when I got married. Uh, you see, I grew up in a family that was very much, I like to have fun in church, come on, I like to have fun. Um, I grew up in a family that was like, when you come in, we want to know about your day. Like, tell me everything. Like, sit down. Like, I want to hear everything and a million questions. And that's just what I was used to. I didn't know anything else. My wife grew up in the family of head nods. Like, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. And that was it. And it was like this unspoken thing of like, it's okay. We don't need to talk. And so when she got married to me, when we started dating, and she would come over to my house, and my parents would just question after question after question. The first two years of our marriage, she thought she was being interrogated every time. She's like, I don't like this. Why am I, why are you asking me so many questions? And vice versa, I go to their house and then her dad's like, hey. I'm like, man, he really don't like me. But you know what? She's come to appreciate the interest and I've come to appreciate the silence. Amen. Praise God. There's something about, hey, we don't need to say it. It's okay. And I just feel like just as us as people, we have ways we want people to enter our homes. The Lord has a way he wants us to approach him. And I just really feel like there is no, 
there is a specific way to approach the Lord, and there's a specific way to not do it. And I feel like the fear of the Lord this morning is to correct some of the ways that we approach him, some of the ways that we view him, because there's a way to do it and there's a way to not do it. One of the things that I feel like in this past age of consumerism Christianity, one of the worst things it's done where it's made Jesus this thing of like where your life is great, but Jesus can make it a little bit better. One of the things, the, the worst thing that it has done is it has killed something called the fear of the Lord. It has killed something called the fear of the Lord. Some of you may not even know what that means. Maybe you've never heard that. Maybe you've heard it and you have a really bad taste in your mouth of what that is. But I really feel the Lord wants to correct and shift and like mold what that is. Because the fear of the Lord, as the proverb says, is literally the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is the beginning of understanding. And so something about the fear of the Lord literally accesses us to Solomon-type wisdom where we get to think, I believe, like, like Paul talks about, with the mind of Christ. I don't believe you can have a renewed mind without the fear of the Lord. And in an age where Jesus, where we have so twisted who he is and what he's like to make him this highly like just uh, acceptable thing to people who are in sin we have literally perverted the fear of the lord we've taken jesus friend of sinners and made him jesus friend of your sin we've taken jesus the firstborn of many brethren to jesus the brother who won't rat you out to dad and i'm just saying when you paul talked about this he says this he says be 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 wary of people coming to preach a false what a false gospel and a false Christ. We're so worried about Islam, Hinduism, New Age. <laughs> Paul says this, don't worry about the new false religions. Like those are gonna be really identifiable. Be wary of wolves in sheep's clothing. <laughs> be wary of people saying Jesus, but it's not the real Jesus. Because there's a lot of people in Mexico named Jesus, but I can't pray to them. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Like just because you say the name Jesus, you need to know who you're praying to. There's a man who was born in Nazareth who has holes in his hands, wound in his side. That's the Jesus you pray to. And what we've done is we've fed people this false gospel and said, here, here's Jesus. And we're wondering why so many of them are leaving the church. It's because their prayers are not actually going up to heaven. They've been converted to a false religion. They've been converted to this self-help, help me, make my 401k bigger kind of religion. Listen, let me break this down for you. Jesus didn't come into your life. You came into his. Paul says this. He says, you were literally dead. You died and you were resurrected into his life. He did not come, Jesus come into my, no, Lord, let me die and be born again into you. And when you're born into someone else's life, you live according to that person. So many people want Jesus to be there 45 minutes and 20 bucks, but like he's asking for your life. Amen. Hey, I'm fired up. I'm excited. We've so perverted this Jesus to make him this acceptable thing where it's like, hey, don't, don't worry about your sin. Jesus is going to cover. It's okay. Listen, Jesus, we've made him literally turn a blind eye towards sin. And this soft, like, just false Lord is not who he really is. Like, there, did you know this same Jesus who he says is friend of your sin? Is just okay with it. The same Jesus said out of his own mouth one day, he said this. He said, there's gonna be people who come to me 
and they're gonna say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out? Did we not preach? Did we not whatever? And he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I never knew you. This same Jesus who we think is just gonna make our entire life better, who's so concerned about making our dreams come true, the psalmist says that in Psalm 2, he says, he dashes the nations with a rod of iron. And he, he uh, the, the nations are broken into pieces like a potter's vessel. This same Jesus who is so gentle and doesn't want to confront your sin is the same one who in heaven right now, the holy angels who are covered in eyes are literally shielding themselves because he's so terrifying and awesome. When John was taken up to heaven, he didn't say, oh, Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he said, oh, Jesus, my homeboy, you're what's up. He didn't give him a hug. He literally fell down like a dead man because the fear of the Lord gripped his heart. There is a level of Jesus. There's an aspect of Jesus. We have not fed people. We've not taught people. And we've literally fed them a false Christ. We wonder why so many kids in the church today, when they go to high school or college, are walking away because they don't even know Jesus. The Lord spoke this to me earlier this week when I was just processing the fear of the Lord. He said, the fear of the Lord cripples the flesh but emboldens the spirit. There's something about the fear of the Lord that will literally cripple your sinly flesh, but in the same way will embolden your spirit, man. And some of you are like, fear? Fear God? Isn't he a God of love? Doesn't perfect love cast out all fear? And I wanna walk through some scriptures today through the life of Saul and David, and I wanna end in Jesus. But let me just tell you this, in an upside down kingdom, it's possible for fear to actually bring peace. For holy fear to bring peace and love. It's possible. When you have to go low to go high, when you have to be last to be first, it's possible for fear to bring comfort. Holy fear brings comfort. All right, you guys ready? Praise God. I want to look at Saul David, I want to look at Jesus, and then I want to share really quick what I feel like the Lord's doing in the church in this day, and uh, at the end I want to have some time for ministry. So I don't have, I didn't put the scriptures in there because we're going to move through some Bible this morning. Say amen. 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 The word is good. Um, so we're going to open up 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. While you're getting there, 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. Before you get there, let me set the stage here. This is Saul. He is king of Israel right now, and um, he's doing pretty good. He's doing pretty good. Uh, his son, Jonathan, has gone and attacked the Philistines, and so he's getting ready to now fight the Philistines. However, there has been this word that has gone forth in 1 Samuel 13, verse 8, where Samuel, the prophet, tells Saul, he said, hey, you need to wait at your encampment. The Philistines are over there, and they are going to come attack you, but you need to wait before you retaliate, before you ready yourself. Wait, I will come in seven days. I will offer a sacrifice up to the Lord, and then you may go out and do battle. And so Saul finds himself in this place of waiting. Saul's waiting and waiting and waiting. Let's pick up in verse 8. Then he waited seven days according to the time uh, set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring me a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened. As soon as he finished presenting the burnt offering, Samuel came. Ain't it like that? Yeah. Ain't it like that? 
you're waiting, 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 like, dang, I guess I'll just make Ishmael. As soon as Ishmael comes, like, Isaac comes walking around the corner, like, come on. Some of you didn't get that. It's okay. Um, praise God. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul retaliates, when I saw that you people were scattered and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines were gathered together at Michmash, then I said to the, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have done foolishly. You, ha you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom of Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. I want us to look at what it looks like when we, as a people, as a person, does, do not walk under the fear of the Lord. Saul in this story has an opportunity to walk in the fear of the Lord, to hold on to the word of the Lord through Samuel to, for God to be his protection. You see, he was exposed. There was, there was the, the Philistine army going to come against him, and he's like, hey, you need to wait. And so often, how, how true is this for our life that we're waiting on the Lord, even with the scheduled timeline, and it just ain't happening the way we thought it was going to happen. The timeline's way gone, and he still ain't showed up. In that time of pressure, that's when I believe the fear of the Lord is tested in a person. What did he really say? We're going to see this throughout the scriptures today. It's the same thing the serpent told Eve. Did he really say? It's testing the word of the Lord. The word and the fear of the Lord are intertwined so tightly. And your faith being put in the fear of the word of the Lord will dictate whether you get to step into promise and step into advancement in the kingdom or if your kingdom is literally ripped away from you. Saul looked at the sacrifice, because you see, Saul is not a priest. He's not from the order of Melchizedek. He is a, just a king. He is not able to sacrifice. He's not able to. But Saul looked at the sacrifice that Samuel needed to do as a means to an end, not as the end. Catch this. Saul, Samuel was going to come offer sacrifice to get the Lord's gaze and his favor. Saul looked at that as a checklist to get to the battle because that was his main objective. David later on would say, Lord, I want to build you a house where I can gaze. The prosperity gospel is this very thing. We're so consumed with his hand rather than his heart. We're so consumed with what he can give us, what he can do for us, rather than actually having the heart of the man who sits in the throne. Saul felt temptation to just moving past the moment where he got to rely on the Lord's protection and provision because really the Lord would have protected him from the Philistines. But he said, I have to take this in my own hands. So many Christians right now today are living their life by their own hands and they're wondering why it's never working out. Wondering why they're always broke. Wondering why they're always sick. Wondering why their kids don't follow the Lord. Wondering why their spouses hate them. It's because you are holding the reins when Jesus is like, if I could just take the wheel. Praise God, that prophetic song. <laughs> when you don't have the fear of the Lord, you would take things in your own hands. 
Because at the, at the heart of it, it's an orphan spirit. You think it depends on you. But the fear of the Lord is not just a fear of the Lord, it's an assurance in him that your heavenly father has a plan for you to prosper you, to have good things for you. All right, let's go to the next one. So Sam, they, they go out and, and, and they, they fight them and they win, yay. Um, so let's go to 1 Samuel. Now we're gonna skip down to uh, 15. 1 Samuel 15, verse seven. And I don't really want to take a, a super long time this morning. I've always said that, and it never works out. Because uh, I definitely want time for a prayer at the end. But 1 Samuel 15, verse 7. So this is a couple years later. Saul is um, now in a battle with the Amalekites. And Samuel comes to him and almost like gives him a second chance from the Lord. So you think God didn't have grace in the Old Testament. He did. He gives Saul a second chance. But there's strict instructions that Samuel gave Saul. He says this. He says, Saul, when you go and you do battle with the Amalekites, you need to destroy everything. Kill everything. Every person, every animal, everything, destroy it. There can be no mixture in the kingdom of God. What you need to understand is this. In that day and age, with battles, with warfare, when you would go out to fight someone, it was extremely expensive. You would literally, people would die. You would lose resources, money. And the biggest benefit, the whole thing was loot, was taking things from the, the conquered people and bringing it back. It was like millions and billions of dollars being added to your revenue. Now the Lord is saying this, hey, kill everything and destroy everything. Don't take anything back. No livestock, no people, nothing. The Lord is setting up Saul now to see if he will trust him to be his provision. Protection and provision. He's asking, will you trust me? You're gonna expend millions of dollars going out and fighting this battle. Will you trust me to provide for you? So here we go. We're gonna pick up in 15 verse seven. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best sheep, the best oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And were unwilling, you need to catch this. In the battle of the fear of the Lord, there's two things going on, your will and the Lord's. Your will and the Lord's. What Paul wanted to have, when he was writing, what he was picturing happening was you literally dying to your will and adopting the Lord's. This is what he's saying about crucifying the flesh, picking up your cross, renewing your mind. It's, Lord, I die to myself, I gain this. We, we talk about this in Jesus. He says, anything you ask of me, I will give you. What we forget is the first part. Before that verse, he's talking about dying to yourself, coming under his dreams. And so when we come under the dream of the Lord and we, his dreams become our dreams, anything we ask, which are his dreams, will be given to us. It's not, he's, he's not saying ask Lambos and I'll give you Lambos. He's not saying ask for a million dollars, I'll give you a million dollars. He's saying, I want to co-labor with you for the harvest of the nations. And if you would, oh, here's the thing. We think Lamborghinis and Porsches and, and big bank accounts are more bountiful, more rewarding than the harvest of the nations. It's because we're still thinking from this worldly perspective. Because one day, what's going to happen when you're standing before him and he's saying, what did you do? And 
all the stuff in your life is wood, hay, and stubble, and the stuff that you barely did for the Lord is precious stones, we're going to see that Lamborghinis, Porsches, and 401ks were wood, hay, and stubble, and the harvest of the nations was precious stones. And the Lord, in his infinite mercy and grace is like I'm extending an olive branch to you right now to co-labor I'm trying to put crowns in your thorn and, and, and or, or gems in your crown he's trying to, to to make us beautiful for the end time I wish we could see that man he's doing us grace right now to make us beautiful then but we're preoccupied with worldly things he's like store up for yourself treasures in heaven it's your will versus his all right sorry Going back to verse 9. And they were utterly, sorry, they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. I love this. But everything that was despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Oh, great. You, you destroyed all the ugly stuff, but not all the good stuff. Like you, don't get count, you don't get tickets for that. It doesn't count. Okay. Okay, let's go to the next one. Um, verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night long. Some of us need people in our corner who, when we're in sin, come on, they will cry out to the Lord all night long for repentance. Oh, my goodness. You think iron sharpening iron is a Bible study. No, it's confrontation about your sin. Oh, I, <laughs> I was at a time in my life where I was in deep, deep addiction to sin. And I had a man in my life uh, who's not much older than me who would look in my face and say, bro, you're better than that. He said, you're better than that. I confessed to him one day and he didn't put his arm around me and say, hey, it's okay. He said, you're better than that. Pick yourself up, try again. And I'm telling you, we need that kind of conviction, that kind of confrontation in the church. We, in this don't judge me type of world, we love the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery where Jesus has this beautiful father-daughter moment and he's bending down and people are like, don't judge me because Jesus says, where are your accusers there? I don't accuse you either. And we stop literally right there. We stop right at the point where he says, I don't accuse you either. We put a period. The problem is there's a little sentence. There's five words. Go and sin no more. He ends that encounter with that. And I think Jesus meant the go and sin no more just as much as he meant the where are your accusers. But we stop right there and we don't want to have Holy Spirit confrontation in the church because we're afraid people are going to leave. Okay, let them leave. If your heart can't take a little iron on iron, maybe your heart was never connected to him in the first place. It's nice being the number two because you can say this stuff and you got to deal with it later. It's amazing. I love it. Samuel comes to Saul, and, he's, and so the word's coming to Samuel. Verse 12, so Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Oh, my goodness. Saul set up a monument. He disobeyed the word of the Lord, and what do you thinks next is a good idea? I'm going to Disney. He said, I'm going to set up a monument for myself. The pride. Monument for himself, and he has gone around passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I want to stop right there. When we don't have the fear of the Lord present in our heart, 
one of the first things that we will do, and we're seeing this in our nation right now, in the world, but specifically in this nation when it comes to churches, is we will twist the word of the Lord. And I'm talking about logos. I'm talking about scripture. We will literally twist. It's literally what I said earlier. Did he really say? This, is that sin we've called sin for 2,000 years and is really explicit in the Old and New Testament? And Paul, when you break down the Hebrew and the Greek, it's pretty unexplainable. Is that really sin though? When we look at it in correlation to what's going on in the world today, is it really sin? I'm telling you, when we don't have the fear of the Lord, we will twist God's word. And we will say, well, here's his will. Here's my will. And the word of the Lord is standing in the middle. I, I can't get past it. If I can twist it though, if I can pervert it, if I can change it just a little bit to make it look like my life, the problem is the Lord's, the word of the Lord has no longer become a plumb line. It's become a blessing that we try to put over ourselves. The word of the Lord no longer cuts your flesh. You cut your hair to make yourself look more beautiful. I wonder, how, I wonder if there's a people who are still able to sit with the word of the Lord and say, cut me. Cut me deep. Show me my inner sin. I want the fear of the Lord. It's about to be tax season. How many of us in this room are going to cheat on our taxes this year? I'm not joking. How many of us are going to say, well, I'm going to, uh, you know, write that off, write that off, write that off. And you're literally lying. How many of us are going to walk in impurity in that and just say, well, it's okay because the government's impure. Who cares? Render to Caesar what Caesar's. Trust the Lord. How many of us are going to go out today, sit at a restaurant, the waitress is a little slow, and you're going to snap her head off after you rolled around on the floor having a Holy Ghost experience. I don't know what spirits you met down there, but it wasn't Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit leads on to repentance. I wonder if there's a people who are willing to be cut by the word, who are saying, Lord, here's my life. Here's my heart. I don't want to talk to my wife like that anymore. I don't want to treat my kids like that anymore. I want to steward my tongue better. I don't want to be a critical spirit anymore, Jesus. Lord, wound me right now in the place of prayer. Wound me through your word. We don't twist the word anymore. So he says, so Saul, Saul comes to him. He's like, look what I've done. I've done such a great job. And Samuel says one of the best lines in scripture. He says, oh, Really? What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? And what is this lowing of oxen that I hear? He's like, you dummy. You're saying you did such a great job. I can see the sheep that I told you to kill. When we don't have the fear of the Lord, even we become deceived. When the anointing leaves you, you're always the last one to know. Everyone else can see it. Wow, he just doesn't walk in the same authority anymore. What? And we're always literally the last one to know. We think we're doing great when everyone around us is like, he ain't the same. I think there's compromise. It's because deception is deceiving. It deceives. Big shocker. And when we twist the word of the Lord, we literally, because here's the thing, the word of the Lord can either bring truth or when we twist it, it can bring deception. And we can literally deceive ourselves through the word that should have gone out and brought truth. And so Saul right here is literally deceiving himself 
thinking that he's good, but he's really not. All right, I gotta go, I gotta go, give me one. All right, and Saul says, they have brought, uh, they have brought from the Amalekites, from the people, the spare, the best sheep and the oxen, the sacrifice of the Lord your God, and we have, uh, we have the rest we have utterly destroyed. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did the Lord not anoint you over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you not swoop down on the spoil? And, do, and why did you do evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, but I have, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Deception. And I have gone on the mission which the Lord has sent me, and I have brought back Agag, king of the Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder and the sheep of oxen and the best things which should have been utterly destroyed to the sacrifice of the Lord, uh, to the God of Gilgal. He's literally floundering, trying to shift blame onto the people when he clearly gave an order to not kill all the fatted calves. When we're, on, when, we're, when we're in this position, we will flounder. When, when, when confrontation comes, when conviction comes, we will shift blames. It's the woman you gave me, Lord. She said, well, it's the serpent. No, it's you. The Lord has spoken to you. You have the ability to obey the voice of the Lord. Every command comes with grace to obey it. The problem is we want to go our own way instead of his way. And then we want to make other people to blame when it doesn't work out. Wow. So Samuel says, has the Lord great delight? Oh, we're not going to go that far. So Saul has his opportunity for the Lord to be his provision. But because he does not trust in him, he literally takes things in his own hands. And I love the rest of the story. Samuel says, okay. He, he deals with Saul. They worship together. It's fine. Then he says, bring me a knife. He says, unfinished business. And he says, bring King Agag. And Agag, I love this. He's like, hey, it's okay now, right? Y'all are cool now. We don't have to. And Samuel, it's the Bible says he chops him into pieces. It's because the word of the Lord is serious. Yeah. Yeah. The word of the Lord is serious. We look at Jesus as this soft type thing. But in Zechariah, in the 14th chapter, it says this. In that day, he will set his foot on the Mount of Olives. And he will lead a holy war against the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet, and the nations. Jesus will have holiness. He will have it. And there's grace, and there's love, but there's a sword. And one day, there will be a sword that cuts through nations. And there will be a sword that divides the sheep from the goats, and the wheat from the tares. And that sword's name is Jesus. And it's coming out of his mouth. Hey, all right, let's look at David. Some good stuff, praise God. The life of David. David, um, so let's fast forward. We're, in, um, we're gonna start in 1 Samuel 24, verse one. David has an interesting story. So Saul kind of just doesn't do what he's told. And then God's like, all right, let me go find David now. So he finds him out there petting sheep and stuff. And so he finds David. And then David is anointed king while there's still a king on the throne. He finds himself in this tension, this place where Saul also found himself waiting for the Philistines to attack, of where I can see the promise, but I have to wait. 
And in even the waiting, the person he's waiting on is being unfaithful and is actually full of sin and full of demons, the Bible says. David has an opportunity to say, okay, do I take this in my own hands? He's even wrong. Here's the thing. Some of you are holding on to bitterness from, some of us, I'll put this in me in this category, holding on to bitterness from family hurt when our family has done us wrong and we're walking around for years saying, well, they did the wrong thing, so I'm gonna cut them off from my life. The Lord's like, would you extend an olive branch? Would you be the bridge? Because it doesn't matter if the person is the one who did the wrong doing to you. It matters what your heart is. All right, so David is, 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 is in this place of tension where he's gonna become king, but he's not king, and Saul's trying to kill him, so there's always that. It's fun life for David. All right, so we find himself, David's on the run from Saul. He's trying to kill him, like you do. Um, Verse 24, verse 1. Now it happened. When Saul had returned from the following, the Philistines that told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to attend his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day which the Lord has said to you, behold, I will deliver my, your enemy into your hand. David even had a scripture. He had a scripture to justify killing Saul. Praise God. I deliver it into your hand that you may go do to him as it seems good to you. David rose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart was troubled because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch up my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from his cave and went on his way. One of the things that you're going to see when you do have the fear of the Lord is you have conviction. Conviction tells you if you're still alive or not. I'm going to say that again. Conviction lets you know if you're still living in here or not. If the spirit is still at work in your heart. When you don't feel conviction about your sin, about your pet sin, that's when you should be worried. Conviction, the conviction of the Lord is beautiful it's holy he chastises those he loves he convicts he brings purification not to harm you but to give you blessings because he knows what's best for you the conviction of the lord purifies when you walk under the fear of the lord you inherit his conviction and his conviction is not to punish his conviction is to make you more like him and he knows you can't do it on your own so he says i'm going to set up guide rails for them i'm gonna put things in their hearts little pricks little like i shouldn't have done that so that they can come and say hey lord purify me once again i'm sorry i repent i turn from that conviction shows you you're still alive even after so david cuts his rope he he actually does sin in this instance but he is convicted. And then what's happened after that, his conviction leads him to restrain his people. Your conviction will make a way for you to have influence over other people to lead them into holiness. When you steward your conviction well, when you say, yes, Lord, I am not going to look at that image. Yes, Lord, I'm not going to talk to my wife that way. Let me tell you, husbands, when you steward your wife well, when you talk to her with affirming lips, you allow your children to walk in your conviction. 
You allow your children to walk in freedom. You allow your children to grow up in an atmosphere where parenting and marriage is done well rather than them have to do inner healing on the back end. Our conviction makes a way for others to walk in freedom. <sighs> How am I doing? Oh, all right, let's go to the next one. Um, so conviction tells you you're still alive. We're going to look at the next time uh, David has an opportunity to kill Saul. In 1 Samuel 26, we're going to start in 7, 7 through 10. 1 Samuel 26, verse 7. Is this good? You guys good? Awesome. Perfect. Hey. 1 Samuel 26, verse 7. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within his camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head and Abner, Saul's bodyguard and all the people lay around him then Abishai says to David God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day now therefore please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth and I will not have to strike him a second time man Abishai knows what he's capable of and praise God he's got somebody who you needed somebody who can strike somebody once praise Jesus one puts 1,000, two puts 10,000. Amen. Hey, I don't even know what I'm saying. All right, let's go to the next one. <laughs> but David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the, Lord's lives, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Or his day shall come to die. Or he shall go out in battle and perish. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, we talked about this earlier with Saul, about how when we don't walk, we, we abandon the word of the Lord. When we do walk, we hold on to it. David is telling him, he said, Abishai, don't worry about it. We don't have to do anything right now. The Lord will be my vengeance. The Lord will go like a mighty man out to war with an outstretched hand and a, a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He will take what's mine. When we have the fear of the Lord, we will have confidence. And I'm telling you right now, David didn't have scripture. David, this, the, the words of Samuel, when he went and anointed David in the back of the field, weren't written down where David could read them. What he had was a rhema word that was later turned into logos. He had a prophetic word given to somebody. I wonder if there's a people. I love this, this, this staff we have here in, the, in what, Dave, what Gio was talking about earlier. When he says, hey, we, we were in a staff meeting. He says, we need to hold on to the promise of the Lord. And we cannot let little things, just the Lord becoming common, to rob us from his prophetic word. Is there a people here on this address who would say, I'm going to hold on tightly to the promise of the Lord. And when it doesn't look like it's going to happen, I'm going to hold on even tighter. I'm going to grip. I'm going to meet him in the place of prayer. And I'm going to contend because he will not let his word return void. And he will say, I have decreed a thing. It will be done. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, loose on earth, loose in heaven. I will stand firm on his word because he has exalted his word above his name. That means you can take that to the bank. You can take it to the bank. The problem, somebody asked me one time, they, they're not really in the charismatic space. They said, why, they were, they were being critical. They said, why do so many charismatics pray for stadiums and nations and all this big stuff where's the guy who's doing the little church and I said this I think what the reason is is because the Lord knows 99.9 percent .9 of people are not going to carry that word to fruition so he casts a big net <laughs> the Lord knows that the vast majority of the people are going to get weary along the way and not fulfill so he's casting a big net 
So the Lord probably is telling many people, hey, nations, stadiums, big dreams. Because he wants somebody to say, I get that. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to do something for your name. Everybody else is going to abandon me, but I'm going to go. I have decided to follow Jesus, though none may follow. He's looking for a people who will stand firm on his word and say, I'm not going anywhere. David saw this because he has a fear of the Lord, and he knows the Lord will come through for him. Some of you have been contending for years for breakthrough in your family. I feel this for breakthrough in your children. And the word of the Lord for you today is stand firm. Watch me deliver with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I'm going to stretch out my hand towards Pharaoh and release your family. It's happening right now. He's asking, would you meet him in the wilderness? Would you meet him in the place of prayer at the burning bush and say, Lord, send me. Do something. I will contend in prayer. He's looking for a people who will grab hold of his promises and say, yes. Woo. All right. Praise God. <sighs> the fear of the Lord is all about his will versus my will. And me coming into alignment with what he's doing. With what he's doing. And saying, God, I want to be a part of your story. I, I want to just share really briefly what I just feel the Lord is doing in, 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 in this day and age of the church. Um, I, he spoke something to me a while ago. And actually, I'll be honest with you, I said it as a joke to somebody. And then later on, the Lord said, no, that was real. That, that, was, that was a prophetic word. I said to somebody, I said, yeah, I feel like the, there's a season of Ananias and Sapphira-level judgment coming. It was a joke. And later on, the Lord said, hey, that's actually going to happen. The way he spoke this to me a couple years ago um, about Joel 2. You look at Joel 2 and it says, In those days I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord, and your sons and daughters, old women, all that stuff. <laughs> when you look at the word day or days, it's a period of time, right? It's not just a moment. It's a period of time. So what the Lord is saying is, as the days go on, I will be pouring Catch this, I will be pouring. And so you can rest assured right now, as the days grow darker, whether it's COVID or an economic collapse or a hurricane or whatever, as the birthing pains come, there will be a continual pouring out of Holy Spirit presence available on the planet. I believe this. So that at the last day, there will be so much more presence, so much more Him available than there was on the first day there's a problem though not a problem there's just a caveat where you have more presence we know this the presence is him he is the presence it's not a holy spirit cloud or some blowing it's the lord when the, when we feel his presence in this room it is jesus himself showing up saying i want to commune with you However, when he increases his presence, he increases every other attribute about himself. Love, grace, mercy, kindness, healing, everything. Also holiness. Also holiness. And beloved, I just feel this in my heart. And I was like trembling this morning just thinking about this. And I just felt the fear of the Lord to share with you. This is the whole reason I'm giving you this message is there's coming a time 
where the Lord is going to pour out his spirit in such a measure. It's already happening, but I feel it's going to increase where our consumeristic Jesus fits into my box type Christianity where he's okay with my sin is not going to fly anymore. And I'm not telling you he's going to strike you down dead, but I am saying there is a level of judgment of holiness that is coming. Why do you think in the end times there's going to be a great falling away apostasy? Wheat and, go- uh, wheat, wheat and tares, sheep and goats. Why do you think it's because there's going to come a sword? And some of the church is going to say, yes, wound me afresh, Holy Spirit. And some will say, let me twist the word so that I am more comfortable sitting in a service. And I just feel, this is why the Lord says in that day there will be a remnant. There will be a few who hold on to the word of the Lord. There will be five virgins who are wise, who keep their, their, their um, wicks trimmed. And I just feel this, the fear of the Lord on, on me and on you this morning, that we would humble ourselves in repentance to say, Lord, you can do whatever you want. Wound me afresh. I am yours. My life is laid down. I am spilled out like a drink offering before your feet. You can do whatever you want to. Crucify my flesh, Lord Jesus. I just feel this. There's going to come a time in in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira. This is two people who sold some property. And said, hey, we're going to give all the proceeds to the church. They're standing before Peter. And, and they, I guess they had conspired together before this husband and wife to say, hey, we're actually going to keep some for ourselves. And so they stand before Peter and they say, hey, we sold it. And this is like, is this all? Is this, the, is this the full amount of money? Yep, it is. Dead. Judgment. Just what? What's happened? Paul says this later in, in, when he's writing his letter to the Corinthians. He says, many of you are weak, sick, and some of you have even died because you do not respect the Lord's Supper. They were taking communion in the wrong way. What was happening was you had rich and poor, and the rich people were getting drunk off the wine, and they were eating the bread. And when the poor people came in from the fields because they had to work longer, there was nothing left for them. And in that house church, Many of those people who were disrespecting communion were dying and becoming weak and were sick because they did not respect communion. I loved communion when I grew up as a kid. Come on. I was always hungry in church. Like, and I'm not saying, you know, for you eight-year-olds out there who love getting the snacks in the middle of church, like you're going to have start getting sick. What I'm saying is as his holiness, as the presence increases, so does his holiness. And he will not tolerate sin. There's a grace, but there's no toleration for sin. He will not, Jesus will not be mixed waters. What does that have to do with the fear of the Lord? I want to take us to Matthew 10, 28, and then we're going to land here. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus is going to talk about the fear of the Lord here. And I think, I think there's, this is going to help clear things up. And the band can come up whenever they're ready. <clears throat> Jesus teaches on the fear of the Lord. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. 
and the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And then Jesus says this. He's saying this. He's saying, you need to fear the God who can not only, you know, men can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. The Lord can actually destroy your soul, snuff you out of existence. He said, that's who you should fear. So much so that he knows when every bird falls from the ground. Every hair on your head is numbered. Job's encounter with the Lord. He's like, do you not know that I created the mating seasons of the deer? The Lord knows everything. Jesus is saying, fear that person. Don't fear the nations of this world. And then Jesus ends in almost this schizophrenic type retort. He says this, do not fear, therefore. You are more value than many sparrows. Why would he say that? Why would he say, hey, fear God who, can, who knows when the sparrows die, who can destroy your soul in hell, and then end with, hey, but don't fear because you're more value than, valuable than sparrows. There is a tension in the fear of the Lord. Some, this, this subject is, is kind of contested amongst pastors and theologians or whatever. Some people think it's purely the fear of the Lord is the judgment of the Lord. Some people think it's just kind of like all in wonder and other people have other weird uh, ideologies. I feel like there's a tension there. I feel like there's a tension that says we, there, the fear of the Lord will produce a holy reverence. It's why John fell down on his knees when Jesus appeared to him. However, when we are in communion with Jesus, there is no fear of destruction because he loves those he is connected with. He loves you. There is no fear of destruction in love. There is a fear of breaking his heart, though. And I want to point our motivation this morning for the fear of the Lord to not be a fear of being chastised or being killed like Ananias and Sapphira. The problem wasn't was that they sinned. The problem was they didn't love the Lord. There wasn't a holy reverence. And what would it be like for a people to not be, because this, this is the thing that's been going on in the church for years, is religion has masqueraded itself as holiness. Religion has masqueraded itself as holiness. And we say, oh, you got to be holy so you can't play with cards. You can't play solitaire. Like, it's silly. Okay, religion has masqueraded itself as holiness. The true fear of the Lord is found when you are so in love with the Lord that you fear breaking his heart. When you look upon the one you love and say, God, I don't want to hurt you. I want to make you happy. Would you stand? And I just feel in this room this morning, there's an opportunity to come back to that place where like, Lord, I want to be broken at your feet. I want to wound me afresh. I don't want to hurt you. I want to make you happy. I want to make you glad. I want to like love, pour out my drink offering on you, Jesus. I want to have the fear of the Lord because I'm in love with you. And I just feel like there's an opportunity. This is a dirty word in the church, but repentance this morning. Let me go ahead and just break down some walls really quick. When we have prayer for like, hey, who wants to have blessings? Who wants to have mercy? Who wants to have you know, whatever, an impartation from the prophet, like altars are packed. You say repentance and it gets crickets. What does that say about our heart? I just feel like this morning there's an opportunity. We're going to pray for the sick and we're going to prophesy over folks this morning. But first, I just feel there's an opportunity for repentance. There's an opportunity to come back to your first love. 
when you first met him, whatever church or street corner or wherever house you got saved in, and you first met the Lord, and he was beautiful, and everything was right in the world. You remember that moment, don't you? When you first met him and the weight of your sin was lifted off and you felt light as a feather and you beheld him like a treasure in the field that you would never let go. I would submit to you, that's the fear of the Lord. That is the fear of the Lord. Where we look upon him and say, I will, there is nothing better than this right now. And I don't wanna go anywhere. And I don't wanna make you go anywhere by my sin. Before we get there, I just, I also wanna say this. If you're listening and whether you've already said a prayer before or maybe you've never, and you're like, I have no even, I don't even have any connection to the Lord. I felt this a couple days ago to do this. And you want to meet Jesus either for the first time or you feel like you just need to get right. Would you just slip up your hand this morning and say like, man, I want to meet my savior. If that's you, do go ahead and do that right now. You're like, I want to get right with the Lord and I want to have him meet me. There's people around, if, prophetic company, if you would just kind of keep an eye out and, and go find somebody, there's people all around. They want to meet the Lord. They want to come into the family. Would you just find them right now, prophetic company, go. I release you, staff, I release you. Go find somebody. I'm going to pray for you and I want to have an altar call for repentance and just getting right and coming back to first love. So those of you who have your hand raised to meet the Lord and, 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 to, and to enter into salvation, I'm gonna pray for you. Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you though that you have died for us, that we, were, that we were dead in sin and you sent your son to die for us and that we can now be born again into new life. And whoever you're praying with right now, I would just lead them through a prayer, the repentance of sin and that Jesus is Lord. Lord, we thank you right now that you have come to give us new life and life abundant in you, Jesus. Thank you. Come on. I wanna just open up right now the altars. If you just feel like you have, you need to get right, and there's, there's a, this is what I feel, that there's, there's a distance you feel between you and the Lord. Like at one point in time, you felt you were at, with first love, but now you don't feel that anymore. I feel like the Lord wants to connect you this morning. I want to say this as he was speaking. I'm not going to ask anybody to close their eyes, but the Lord is dealing swiftly with this. There are things that we as the body have just broad stroked over that the Lord will not have anymore. Things like offenses, pornography, eye to eye. He's just not going to have it anymore. And like... I feel like the Lord is inviting us into this opportunity to respond and to say, you know what, I'm walking. It doesn't, like when I married my wife, I didn't keep the commitment because I got goosebumps at the altar. It wasn't contingent on my feelings at the altar. It was a commitment I made to do life with her forever. And it's like, sometimes we get so caught up in the swirl of a moment and a feeling. It's a decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. And that decision has dictated how I live my life. It dictates I'm not gonna live in mixture. But I feel like for some of us, we've just gotta step forward and just come to the altar and let the Lord minister to you there. And you've gotta get over your look good. We gotta get past that. What are people gonna think? What does that matter? What does that matter? How long have you been carrying that addiction in the darkness? 
Man, I'm, to the men in the church, it's time. It's time. It's time to stop living under that crap. The, the things we're asking the Lord for cannot be held in the container of that. So like I know for years we've been like, can you just close your eyes and whisper? It's like, no. We make a decision now to just come and just let go of all the stuff. So for those of you that have any kind of compromise or you feel your heart has grown cold, you've got to step out. It's not as, we're past the season of prophetic company. Go meet them in their place so they're comfortable. you got to step out. And I'm to the place now where I'll take four that'll step out then 20 that want to stay in their comfort. So very plainly said, man, if you've got stuff in your life, the stuff that you don't want to talk to nobody about, it's time to step out and come forward and to deal with the Lord right now. For those of you that your heart have grown cold, you're like, I'm just not feeling it, I would encourage you to move past your feelings and step into the leadership of the Lord and come under that. So right now, would you just step out? Somebody's got to be brave and lead the way. We know they're here. Come on, it's time. The sleeping around, the compromise, all that's going to happen for those that are coming is we're going to cover you as a body and pray over you. That's all that's going to happen. There's more. Come on, it's time. We say no more. The Lord wants to deal with the coldness of heart just as much as He wants to deal with gross sin right now. unbelief just a few more moments if you feel a minor tug I would encourage you come hey if you can get prophetic company to just come and some of the stuff we're just going to pray and bless this is not your time to try to expose sin prophetic company you're blessing right now you're releasing And I want to admonish again the men of the church, it's time to come out of that crap. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray right now for every. Would you guys, if you guys are out there, just stretch your hands. Let's just pray for these right now. Father, we're asking you by the Holy Spirit that this would be more than just a moment. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. Only you can turn hearts. We're asking you, God, that true repentance would happen, that you would, that you would dig up every root of addiction, every hidden thing would be brought to light. We thank you for your holiness. Let's pray aloud. Let's just pray aloud. Let's just begin to pray that things would be broken off of them. This is how family does family. We pray in Jesus' name, God, that every bit of offense, every bit of division and hurt, we pray for every bit, God, of lukewarmness and complacency would be broken off right now. Every bit of doubt. We respond, Lord. 
Respond, Lord. We remove every yoke of religion right now in Jesus' name off of every person in this room. We thank you, Lord, that you are removing mixture from the church. You're making your bride without spot or wrinkle. Hey, listen, if you're here and you're dealing with weariness, there's like a weariness in your soul. We want to pray over you right now. Would you just put your hands up high wherever you are? If there's somebody with a hand around you, I just want you to pray right now. Hey, just put a hand. Let's just pray right now. Father, we bind all weariness right now. In Jesus' name, we declare over you. If there's somebody with their hands up, I want you to put a hand on them and pray. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would refresh, would fill anew right now in Jesus' name. We bind discouragement. under that pain Father would you release us from the critical spirit even the spirit that says oh poor me we say rise and shine your light has come rise and shine your light has come Father release right now we pray light for all those that have been in darkness in that tunnel of discouragement of pain and abuse we say come out we say come out we say come out arise and shine your light has come we thank you father that pain lasts through the night but joy comes in the morning would you release your joy Right now in Jesus' name. For those that do not have the strength, we stand in the
right now for every person that has responded that thing can never come back again we pray over your homes your rooms your cars that there would be places of peace that those spirits would never be able to that they have no ability to even come back we silence every voice of the enemy that even right now in this moment would speak to you and say this doesn't matter nothing's happening we speak to that voice right now. Let's, let's, let's deal with sickness really quickly. If you have sickness in your body, would you just raise up a hand? Tiffany had a word about ringing ears somebody was having issues with their with the pain in their in their foot just raise up a hand we want to want to just pray for you right now if i can get prophetic company some some of my staff to just go around we want to pray right now father right now in jesus name we thank you that your word declares that by your stripes we are healed and we declare all infirmity right now in jesus name to go i just need agreement in the room we tell all infirmity to go in Jesus' name. We tell pain to cease right now. And we plead the blood of Jesus over your mind, over your body. We tell diabetes to go, cancer to go, Lyme's disease to go. We say go right now in Jesus' name. We declare the mind of Christ. We declare the mind of Christ. moment we receive God your healing we come into agreement Holy Spirit that you heal you restore we speak life we speak life over every organ of your body life to come back to normal.
there's a grace right now. What I was talking about earlier about holding on to the word of the Lord. I feel like there's people in this room, the Lord's given you a word, but there has been a season where you have not seen the word fulfilled. There is grace coming to you. If you would open your heart this morning to hold on a little longer, to grip hold of the word of God, to grip hold like David waiting for the throne. You're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. I see you right now. And it's been years, it's been years and it's getting dry. It's taking a long time. You're not seeing any breakthrough, but you have a word. And the Lord is saying, revisit that word right now in Jesus' name. Come back. When you get home today, read it over in your journal. Do whatever you need to do. But there's grace coming to you right now to receive that word, to hold on. So Jesus, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you for grace to hold on to the word. We thank you, Lord, that you, your word does not return void. Whatever you have decreed, it will be accomplished. You have spoken it in the heavenlies, and it is our joy to pull it down into the natural. Jesus, thank you for your word, that you sent your word and you healed them. Thank you, God, that we receive your word with joy and gladness, and we hold on, waiting for the day of his fruition. In Jesus' name. And we'll end here. We're going to pray for families. If you're next to your spouse, let's just grab hands, and let's just declare and let's just declare that the enemy has to take his hand off of your family. That your, your house will be a house of peace, a house of shalom. So let's just agree right now all across the room. Father, we thank you. The enemy, you have to take your hands off of our children, off of our families, that you have no place in our home. That depression has to go. That every attack and every scheme has to go. In Jesus' name. And we thank you that what the Lord has brought together, that what the Lord has brought together, no man, no demon can separate. We cover your, your marriage with the blood of Jesus. We ask for grace, for forgiveness. We pray over our children and we speak life. Oh, Father, we thank you for grace to love one another the way you've called us to love that we would get rid of things in our homes that compromise us. That you would show us, God. Let our homes be a habitation for your presence, Holy Spirit, every day, day and night, night and day. Father, we bless, we bless every family here. We bless them with peace. We bless them with joy. Father, we do bless them. There's a blessing as we come under your leadership into the fear of the Lord. There is a blessing, God. So I thank you right now, Father. We remove every yoke of heaviness off of every person right now. We thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. It's still a yoke. We come under you. We bless their children. We speak hope over them. And every place of hopelessness, God, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in and give hope. We bless their businesses. We thank you for your conviction, Lord. We want all that you have for us. We want all that you have for us. All of it, Lord. 
Father, we break off the lie off of every person that repented today that would say you didn't, you're not doing enough. You should be doing more. We thank you, Father, that you are so proud of those that boldly came and responded to your call. Lord for what you're doing in our spiritual family and we bless it we bless it we bless it Lord disobedience if I didn't do it. Father, we remove every weight. We cast off of them every weight. Every weight, we say, go off of your people right now in Jesus' name. Every weight. Every weight, go. We thank you for that. It's light. It's light. I thank you, Father, as they walk out of these doors, that they would feel that, the levity, the lightness of your spirit. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Hey, listen, those of that are at the altars, we're going to leave, make room. If you have to go, we love you, bless you. If you want to sign up for Across the Table, you can see Shannon in the back, or you can do it online. If not, we'll see you on prayer room. If the Lord's ministering to you, just stay. We love you guys so much. Thank you, Pastor Tyler, for that word. Have an incredible week. Have an incredible week. We love you guys so much.